Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison, a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me uh, as we keep on rolling uh, in uh, San Francisco is fellow contributor Akshaz Dibadula. Akshaz, how are we doing, man? Doing great, Robert. You know, I was I had the privilege of being able to go to the game last Sunday and. As always, I I truly do believe if you get a chance to, going to a football game is one of the best things because the energy, even if like you're not at one of the quote unquote loud stadiums, and Levi's gets plenty loud, let me tell you, but um, the energy is unmatched, and it was it was a great time, and the Niners came away with an unconvincing yet convincing win, and the fact that I think I think we were talking about this on our preview, it's like the fact that we can look at a game against Seattle and be like, well, they should win. And like, not really worried about that. Maybe something weird happens. Mm-hmm. That's such a luxury for where this team is right now. <laughs> right. Before. Yeah. Ho hum. They scored one touchdown in every quarter and won the game by 12 points. la di da right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, what a disappointment. What's wrong with them? Why did they only score one touchdown in each quarter? Like, what are they doing? Um, I'm sure we'll get into some of that uh, later, but uh, the 49ers um, streaking along, merrily rolling along, 28-16 win, as we have kind of alluded to already over the Seahawks. Um, that's, what, two straight seasons now where they swept uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, it brings, I'm, I'm going to say this very specifically because, uh, you know, QB wins, uh, not a stat, uh, but the 49ers are now 4-0 in games that Brock Purdy starts with uh, um, against the Seahawks in his time. And obviously they won uh, the the other game that was started by two fellows who were no longer, uh, who were, that was started by and played uh, mostly by two fellows that are no longer on this team. Um, so funny, funny thing there. Um, there. So a lot of good things happened actually over the, uh, with that win, first and foremost, it extends the, um, the, the sweep, um, which is nice to get that over the Seahawks. They've, uh, had the chance to complete the, the clean sweep of the division, uh, for the second straight season, if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, this starting this week. And then in the final week of the season, they play Arizona next week and then the Rams and to close things out. Um, but it obviously elongates their lead in the NFC West, which is really good. Um, and puts them in a really good position to uh, to, to to take that division. Um, they also in this this is just the strangest thing we talk about their their playoff clinching scenarios right at the end of the the preview episode. When we were like, oh, all they need is either Minnesota or Packers to lose um, or both teams to tie. Um, and I think I think we were I, I think it was pretty safe to say that the most likely outcome there was that the that neither of those teams were going to lose. And if either of them did, it would be Minnesota losing kind of a weird game to the Raiders. Um, they did play a weird game. <laughs> it was three to nothing, Minnesota in the final. Uh, the Twins beating the uh, Athletics. I think I made that joke last time. But um, it was actually the Giants taking care of the Packers on Monday Night Football uh, in one of the two simultaneous Monday Night Football games. I'm not even sure what we're doing here. <laughs> uh, and that sent the 49ers uh, to the playoffs, basically. That uh, clinched the 49ers their third straight playoff berth um, and allows them, because of, the, the, of beating the Seahawks and everything, they can now win the NFC West, um, regardless of what happens with the Rams, uh, if they win over the Cardinals on Sunday. They can also clinch uh, the NFC West if the Rams lose uh, their game. Uh, even if they lose, if they lost to Arizona, uh, because that would mean that the, the the Rams are the only team left that can catch them uh, in the division. So lots of good things happening for San Francisco. Um, I already got emails uh, about uh, procuring my tickets for maybe playoff games 
<laughs> that are at least one that is likely to happen. Um, I will not be doing that because I am not made of money. But Akshaz, maybe you can uh, you can represent us over there for the playoffs, right? I'll try my best, but unfortunately, it's a pretty hefty, yeah. hefty price to pay. <laughs> but, oh man, what a great week. Honestly, one of the best weeks the 49ers could have had. We didn't yeah. even talk about the the icing on the cake. Oh, there's icing. Tell me more. Tell me more about the icing. I like uh, icing. Just that, just that. Um, due to Philadelphia laying a ah, yes. semi egg on Sunday Night Football, the 49ers are now the one seed and control their destiny for the one seed. If they mm-hmm. win the rest of their games, it doesn't matter what happens with any other team. They'll right. be getting the first round bye. And the last time the 49ers received a bye and were the number one overall seed, they went to the Super Bowl. This is also this is interesting. interesting. Little quirk I found pretty interesting because not to like dive into like playoff matchups and all that when there's still games to be played in the regular season. But I think it's fair to say that despite how well the Cowboys are playing and how poorly Philly's playing, you'd rather see the Cowboys than Philly, just given it seems the like comfort nature the 49ers have over this Dallas team. That's at least how I feel. And although Dallas is leading the NFC East right now, if both Philly and Dallas win all of their games, Dallas will actually be the first wildcard team because of <laughs> a bunch of tiebreakers that come into play. So this is kind of, they do not control their own destiny for the NFC East. It's kind of an illusory divisional advantage right now. But that's neither here nor there. The only thing that matters <laughs> is that if the 49ers win out, they'll be resting. Yeah, yeah, that would be uh, that would be really, really good. Um, and obviously, we'll get into uh, the ramifications of all those games. Uh, I'm 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 going to be working on on yet. Another, I don't know why I keep doing this, Akshaz, and I'm I'm going to try not to be the jinx one once again. But I'm I'm going to be working on a on predictions for the rest of the season uh, piece here later this week. So be on the lookout for that if you're listening to this now um, later in the week. Uh, hopefully I won't do what I did last time I did that and, um, ruin the season. So there we go. Um, (laughs) all right. So lots, lots of, uh, cool news and notes, um, coming out of this game, um, just related to just how like massively successful this offense has been, uh, throughout the season. And so I'm just gonna throw a lot of numbers at us and we're going to talk about how great they are because, um, you know, that's that's probably more fun than talking about like the major ins and outs of this game, although we would get into that. Uh, so we'll start start with uh, Brock Purdy, the quarterback. He's uh, pretty good. So Brock Purdy needs 447 more yards to get to 4000 passing yards uh, and 725 more yards to break the single season franchise record held by Jeff Garcia. Um, this here's here's a fun game. What year did Jeff Garcia set that record? Akshaz, do you know? Oh, boy. Um, this is going to date me and or embarrass me, but, uh, <laughs> the next question will be, were you alive when it happened? <laughs> I'm going to say 2003. Mm-mm. This is 2000 actually, but you're in the neighborhood. Oh. So that's good. <laughs> Second question. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> that means no. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so he's getting pretty close. Uh, I think I read something the other day that actually, Based on his current pace, that um, Purdy will be actually be able to break the record um, in 16 games, which means that there won't be any hemming and hawing about the fact that oh well he got an extra game yada yada yada. Um, that there's a that based on his pace right now that he's going to get to Garcia's record um, bef- through game 16, which means that game 17 would just be icing on the cake and really nice there. Um, the, the crazy thing about this is that, uh, if Purdy gets to 4,000 yards, which it feels pretty like a foregone conclusion, because that's like what, 200 and something yards per game, uh, in over, actually it's less than that. It's like a hundred and something yards, not even a hundred yards per game, a little over a hundred yards per game for, to get to 4,000. So I think that seems pretty good. He would only be the fourth 4,000 yard passer in franchise history and actually only the third player to do so. Garcia, uh, did it in 2000. Steve Young did it twice. Uh, in 1993 and 1998 it's just it's crazy to me um now obviously different eras all that kind of stuff like montana never did it because they just didn't throw the ball that much 
uh, when he was playing uh, and Steve Young, the same, like, and like his numbers are just barely over 4,000 yards. Um, obviously the, the franchise record is like 42 something or 43 something. So it's not, it's not very high. Um, so it will be very, very interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but of course all this Brock Purdy talk leads us to the inevitable conversation that everybody else seems to be having. And we haven't actually really even touched on, I think we maybe talked, touched on it really briefly during the five and O start. Um, but let's do it. Let's get into the Brock Purdy MVP conversation. And actually, I think you have some things to say. Well, I guess I'm about to say something that I never thought I would say. <laughs> and I, I I would like our listening audience to know that when Brock Purdy was drafted, I wrote an article that said he was going to be super important to the 49ers. So this is even me being like, oh, yeah, this guy sucks. Now, if you read the article, you'll figure out exactly how far I thought Brock Purdy would go. But the point <laughs> is, I like the guy. I've liked him throughout. But the fact that Brock Purdy isn't the runaway MVP favorite right now, I think is an absolute like travesty. And I think the most annoying part about it is that it's a narrative right now. This is the issue. It's not that like, you can point to some statistic and say, oh, he's really bad at this. So, you know, there's an argument to be made. The whole argument against Brock Purdy is that, oh, he's throwing it to really good players. He doesn't actually have to do a lot. And the first part is true, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's not beat around the bush. Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. That's probably, I would say, that's the best, like, set you can get in the NFL. If you had to like take any team skill position players and plop them on your roster and say, we're going to go from here. That's the group you're going with. Absolutely elite. I basically mentioned at least three of those four players are top 10, if not top five in their positions, in my opinion, all mm-hmm. four are bona fide pro bowl caliber, probably all pro caliber on their best days, just super elite. But We've seen this offense before. We've seen it with Trey Lance, albeit in very limited reps. We've seen it with Nick Mullins. We've seen it with Brian Hoyer, kind of. We've seen it with Jimmy Garoppolo, <laughs> right? CJ Beathard, you, know, you forgot. CJ Don't Beathard, forget about yeah. CJ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, we, we saw it in the NFC Championship game with Josh Johnson. For a little bit. And the 49ers have never been as efficient, explosive, and effective as they have been with Brock Purdy. And it's not just that, like, he's throwing two-yard outs and they're running 95 yards for the touchdown. That happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you can look at the Seattle game, absolutely laser throws to Kittle and then the deep shot to Samuel. You have that touchdown to Ayuk a couple weeks ago against Seattle as well. Gutsy throw. I mean, he throws the ball everywhere. He does it efficiently. He does it effectively. I'm not a huge fan of like EPA and these advanced quarterback stats because I think they kind of obscure how responsible a quarterback is for play. But the fact that he's like the runaway efficiency leader in the NFL means a lot. And I think the biggest issue I have is with who are, who's the guy who will get the MVP if Brock Purdy doesn't get it as much as like, I hear the noise for Tyreek Hill and even the noise for Christian McCaffrey you and I both know right like they're not giving it to a non-QB it would take like like McCaffrey I think would have to have gone a thousand a thousand Mm -hmm. despite how well he's played I just don't see like him getting that award for this team especially with Purdy here he didn't even get the award the year he went thousand thousand so exactly yeah (laughs) I mean and then Hill like, if he breaks the all-time, like, single-season receiving record, that's a huge deal. But I just – you can't – I can't – you can't say he's the runaway, like, best, most valuable player in the league, right. right? Like, I just don't think this season you can make that argument because, like, a receiver is inherently tied to the quarterback just as a quarterback is tied to the receiver. Like, we don't know how Hill would produce with Tua. We don't know, like – all these different parameters. And more importantly, like this is a quarterback award. Like, let's just get real. Yeah. Right. 
if this is the year to make a not a quarterback award, it's just it's ridiculously like hit. Um, what's it called? I mean, I can't. I'm blanking on the word, but <laughs> when I get back to it, it's the perfect word. I just don't know how to say it. I mean, it reeks of hypocrisy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that leaves two guys. I think Jalen Hurts' struggles have been really magnified, and he wasn't really playing particularly well this entire year. So now that those close wins have become close or not close losses, I was gonna say not. He's close out of losses. it. Um, Tua, I think is a victim of the Tyreek conversation. I don't think he can win the award just because Hill is like dominating this discussion. And Miami isn't like running away offensively. Mahomes has not played particularly well this year. So that leaves Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott. Yeah. Now look, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fan of the whole oh let's talk about like head-to-head matchups because you know Purdy and Prescott aren't on the field at the same time but like you look at what Prescott has done and then you look at what Purdy has done and then you look at the teams that they've done it to and I just don't know how you can make the case that Prescott should be MVP over Purdy not like Prescott against the 49ers laid an absolute egg like one of the worst performances a quarterback can have not good at all. Against the Eagles, he was fine. He was pretty good. But Brock Purdy against the Eagles was way better. And he has hyperinflated stats against some very, very, very mediocre teams. Mm-hmm. Right? He has the benefit of playing the Commanders and whatever is going twice. on over there twice. The Giants and whatever is going on over there twice. I mean, the schedule is somewhat easier. It's not all that easier but it's a second place schedule as opposed to a first place schedule i just think right now brock purdy is being shoehorned into this like inspirational oh my god let's see how far it goes story that hasn't gone away from the fact that he's mr irrelevant but the reality is who cares when he was drafted he's played like a season's worth of games and he is already statistically one of the best passers in the nfl it doesn't even matter like what his ceiling is, and we don't have to talk about that. The reality is people don't do that in the NFL. No one comes in and plays as well as he does and just like gets the type of production that he does. And any stat that Prescott has, Purdy is either right next to him or ahead of him. At the end of like the the only reason that Dak Prescott would win MVP over Purdy is because of this like convoluted narrative that you know, Purdy is benefiting from a, a vacuous claim of talent around him, not like acknowledging mm-hmm. the fact that Prescott has also quite, has a talent. talented, <laughs> quite a talented team. I mean, the Cowboys offensive line is way better than the 49ers offensive line. Right. And that's a huge part of like being quarterback is having protection. Purdy is dealing with pressure everywhere except left tackle kind of constantly. But no one wants to bring that up because, you know, it doesn't help the point that, like, he's in this perfect environment. Right. I mean, I just think whatever argument you make for Prescott, I think it's very fair to, like, put that on Purdy as well. And maybe Purdy will play rather poorly these final few days, and it won't be unreasonable that Prescott wins MVP. But if Brock Purdy is the quarterback of the number one seed in the NFC, having spearheaded what will likely be the number one or number two offense in the NFL in terms of sheer yardage, the most efficient offense in the NFL, bar none, and has like elevated, like demonstrably elevated a team from where it was before, and he's not MVP, then I, I just think like, I think it's an absolute joke. And I think Trent Williams had a great point. I think he said if he was drafted in the first round, Brock Purdy is a runaway MVP candidate and we're coronating him as the next, like as the next best quarterback in the NFL. And the yeah. fact that people can't like get over their priors on him is really frustrating because it like, it's legitimately like, and it's to some extent it's like, okay, who cares? Like people don't like respect him. Big deal. But like, Super big picture, 
and this is like ridiculous. Like we're thinking like big long-term legacy, right? Purdy is playing well enough to where the discussion shouldn't be like, oh, wow, look at him, the best Mr. Irrelevant ever. It's legitimately, this guy has a chance to be one of the great quarterbacks just off what he's doing. Like, this is unheard of. And the fact that, like, huge legacy building, like, accolades and identifiers might be deprived simply because people can't get over the fact that he was a seventh round pick and Mr. Irrelevant, I think is unfair to, is so unfair to him. So, you know, any other year, any other quarterback, this isn't a discussion. And like who Brock, the Brock Purdy equivalent, let's say like, let's say Joe Burrow had the exact same stat line as Purdy did. He'd be MVP already. No one would even talk about another candidate. It would be done. But, you know, it's just, it's so it's so frustrating that like he's kind of getting diminished in this way and again kind of to put a bow on it <laughs> the fact that i am saying this about Brock Purdy in the year 2023 is probably one of the most outrageous and ridiculous things i thought i'd say about the 49ers but here we are i mean he yeah. you can't tell me he hasn't played like an mvp this year and frankly i i can't see a world I can't see a justification for giving the award to Dak Prescott over Purdy. And since Prescott's really the only other competition for Purdy, I feel like, like if you could just like look at both of them play, look at the stat sheet, but not like know in your mind, Oh, this is Brock Purdy. This is Dak Prescott. Purdy would like win it hands down. I think that's that's all pretty accurate. And and not to mention the fact that he's really like nipping on the heels of of like if you if you prefer like non efficiency ratings or or things like you know like all the numbers that he's leading in, he's he's actually even what is he third in the NFL in just passing yards, like just straight up. Um <laughs> like I don't know and the two that are above him currently are to a uh, Tagovailoa, who's not terribly far ahead of him, and then CJ CJ Stroud, who's probably going to run away with the offensive rookie of the year award this year, um, but also might miss next next week with a with a concussion, and he's only like 140 yards behind. No, yeah, like 140 yards behind behind Tua in third place. So I don't know, man, it's just <laughs> the other crazy thing is he's completing 70 over 70 percent of his passes and has done so, uh, what, seven times already this year? Um, actually, seven straight games. Is that I don't is that the right that number? I think it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy. Um, the other thing that 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 I noted, um, Matt Mayoko posted something today, uh, an article about how it was the it was. It was clickbaity the way that he set it up. He's like, you want to know something that Brock Purdy is not leading the league in so far this year? And Akshaz, do you know what the answer to that question is? I mean, interceptions. It's it, it interceptions is true, but it's it's <laughs> it's it's yak yak yardage. Like yeah, the percentage I, of his the percentage of his passes, he's like middle of the league, like seventeenth or something like that in the NFL. And he's right, basically, he's an average quarterback when it comes to the amount of of his yardage that is accounted for by his receivers running after the catch. So there you go. I mean, there's just anything, any, like, it's all based off, like, it's like a good, like, analog, I feel like, is what happened with um, Christian McCaffrey and the Heisman vote a few Mm -hmm. years ago, where it's like people just didn't watch they didn't watch him play because it was like a West Coast game, which right. isn't really the case in the NFL because no one watched him. No one actually knew what he was doing. So you just went off like whatever narrative and like preconceived notion you had about him. And that I feel like that's what's happening with Purdy. Like no one has seen is like looking into this and like actually analyzing it. So you just think, oh, he's like throwing like two yard bubble screens and then he's getting 50 yards after the catch, but no, he's like, he's ripping it down the field. And I I mean, like I wouldn't be mad if Brock Purdy lost the MVP vote. I would, I just don't think 
the like way this is shaping up to where we like the it seems like the media who votes on the award has like already decided that like Purdy is not the reason the 49ers are winning and therefore shouldn't win when every reason they're deciding that is just wrong. It's just, they're just wrong. Like that's the thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's real. It's a real shame. Um, so hopefully he'll be able to just continue on down this road and everything will, will be, will be, will be good. And, um, then the 49ers can win the MVP and the in the offensive player of the year award. Cause I think there's a, well, I actually think that's a, that's probably a two horse race, right? That's a Tyreek Hill, Christian McCaffrey kind of conversation, pick your poison kind of thing, but we'll get into that another time. I'm sure. Um, all right. Some other news and notes that came out of this game. Uh, Brandon, Ayuk uh, goes over the 1000 yard receiving mark for the second straight year. Another just crazy stat. This of course feels it's, it's obviously married to the previous one about only having had four 4,000 yard seasons up to this point, only four uh, 49ers to ever have back to back thousand yard seasons. Um, I bet you, you could name at least two of the, of the three. Uh, There's three others uh, that have done it. I feel pretty confident that if I was like, name the two, you could probably tell me right without even thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, what's it? Rice and T.O. Yep. And the third, a little surprising. I so my guess is John Taylor. I don't know why, but I feel like I've heard that he's up there. Nope, it's a little more recent. It's Anquan Bolden, actually. Oh, and, all right. Yeah, getting uh, those yards and those lean years. <laughs> that's what? right. When when you're the only offensive option in the passing game, it probably helps. Um, the Forty Nine. I it's just to like how far they've come. I mean, the Forty ers had Randy Moss and Anquan Bolden and Torrey Smith as like legitimate options on this team at some point, just, but in the like yesteryears of their career, cause they were just like, I mean, Moss came in for that final run, but the rest mm-hmm. of it was like, yeah. this team just was like, it was somewhere else, but great players. Great for sure. All right. Speaking of thousand yard uh, seasons. So the 49ers are on the doorstep of having four players finish with thousand yard seasons in their respective um, basically thousand yards from scrimmage is the way of, of way of looking at it. Um, so Brandon, I already there, uh, George Kittle needs 189 more yards to get there. That's roughly 47 and a quarter yards per game, uh, to get him there. Uh, Debo needs 261 more receiving yards. If he wants to get his receiving total up over a thousand yards, uh, 65 and a quarter yards per game there. Or he could get 100 yards total, like his total yards, including rushing, um, is uh, already at um, 900 for the season. So he could get 1,000 yards from scrimmage. Um, I think that would still suffice in that particular case. Um, I think both are probably well within range uh, for for Diva there. And then McCaffrey, <laughs> Christian McCaffrey, obviously already at 1,000 yards. Uh, he is just just for the record, he's 5,000 yards or 500 yards short. Uh, in the receiving area if he wanted to be at a thousand yard receiver. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but obviously you'll have, uh, I think the four, 4,000 yard players, Ayuk, Kittle, Debo and McCaffrey well within reach. That'd be the first time that it's happened since to the 2004 Colts. Uh, Edron James was the rusher, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison. And I'm, I'm having fun with these games today. Akshaz. Is there any way in the world that, cause the, I was surprised. Like I went to pull this up information up. I was like, Edwin James, yeah, makes sense. Reggie Wayne, yeah, absolutely. Marvin Harrison, absolutely. Any idea who the four, who the third wide receiver was? I'll tell you that much. It's a, it was a wide receiver. The thousand oh, darn. receiver. I was I was about to say Dallas Clark. Um, um, um <laughs> no, I saw it and I'm, I went, oh, okay. I'm, I'm blanking. No way <laughs> it's, I it's Brandon it. Stokely. Oh boy, man, Peyton Manning MVP. <laughs> Yeah, you know and Peyton who Manning. won MVP that year? Peyton was it Peyton Manning? Manning? Gracious. Yeah. Shocking. So you can award an MVP to a player. Um, but he, almost, he threw for like 5,000 yards or something like that, didn't, didn't he? <laughs> that year? Oh, was yeah. that that season? Um, so a lot going on there. But yeah, I think that's certainly well within play. Um, just to kind of see how the distribution of, of, of yardage goes. But I think that's, that's it's definitely there. Um, so a couple of specific things from the Seahawks game. 
this this was really surprising to me because in like watching the game and and and, and getting taking it all in, it's really kind of I was really kind of surprised that this was actually one of their most successful offensive games of the season. Um, even though they only scored 28 points, which is one of their lowest out totals in a win uh, this year, it was their highest yardage total overall um, for the season with 527 yards on just 53 plays, which is 9.9 yards per play, which is a single game franchise best since 1961. So that's crazy. <laughs> it was their second highest rushing total, 173 yards on the season after or on the, in the game after a 188 in the season opener against Pittsburgh. And it was their highest passing total of the season with 354 yards. So that's that's kind of crazy to me. Like, in spite of the fact they didn't score a lot of points, they surely put up a lot of yards. That kind of – so hearing it at first, I'm like, huh, that's crazy. But then thinking about it, it kind of makes sense. You know, lots of shot plays, so lots mm-hmm. of quick yards. And then Ayuk had that fumble, which, you know, that's like 60 yards of scrimmage. but no, you lose possession. Purdy threw that like tipped interception that Ayuk probably should have caught. That's another like drive that then results in a fumble, and then a couple you know stalled drives at midfield. I can see how they get there. Not a lot of points, but yeah, ten yep. of yards. Yep, for sure. Um, very interesting how that kind of works out. And and if you think about like the games where they scored more points, there were circumstances under in both, like, especially thinking about like the Cowboys and the Eagles games, like the Cowboys game, they were just like, okay, well it's fourth quarter. We've already beaten you guys to enough of a pulp where we're just going to back off. Um, and they essentially did. And then they essentially took the entire first quarter off against the Eagles. So, um, they probably, if they play all four of those quarters in the same manner, they probably get more yardage in both those games. But, um, it is kind of interesting how those kind of how those things worked out. All right. Um, that leads us into uh, some injury related news uh, and some other pieces before we get into the things we liked and didn't like. I know this is a lot, this is like the longest lead in of all time, but we're we're getting there. Um, Jason Brett is back on the Packers squad. That's it's good. That's, you know, I think there'll be a, a, an interesting opportunity. It sounds like uh, the players are excited to have him back um, given the the state of the the depth in the back of the defensive backfield. I think it would be nice if he's able to, you know, play a part in this team. We'll see what happens. Um, there are some, some banged up guys uh, in the secondary. Uh, so there might be an opportunity for him to get to play. Speaking of which, uh, Trevarius Ward, who missed most of the game on Sunday with a groin injury, appears to have escaped anything major. Uh, it looks like there is a chance that he will have the opportunity to play on Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, same with uh, Javon Hargrave, who I think it, initially the report was that he might have tore his hamstring, which would have been just horrible. Um, but the hamstring is not doesn't seem to be a major injury. And again, another chance that he might be able to get out there on Sunday as well, which would be really good news, considering the expectation is that Eric Armstead is probably going to miss uh, Sunday's game as well uh, after missing uh, the game against the Seahawks this past week. Um, Oren Burks, uh, suffered a knee injury on Sunday and it is expected to be out for a few weeks. So that means it's finally time for those two rookie linebackers that they took this, uh, in this past draft to get an opportunity, it appears. Um, and then Dre Greenlaw is day to day with a hip and ankle stuff. So just kind of probably dealing with that. So man, lots of lead up to that one, but, uh, anything jump out to you on that, on that front? I mean, it's Hargrave not having something really serious is such a big deal because Armstead there's something nagging with him that's like I think this is going to be like an issue throughout the rest of the season and it's going to be more how do they manage it than anything but that means that like if you lose Hargrave too that's a lot of quality you're not having on that defensive line especially interior so huge way to get away from that um Mooney Ward I think when he went out, the 49ers reeled in the first drive and then clearly just couldn't do what they wanted to do on on defense, which happens. He's their best corner. I think it was interesting, though. We saw Sam Womack out there for a little bit, and then almost immediately they were like, yeah, we're not doing that, and went to um, Oliver in the slot. So interesting to see if Womack might get a little more run if Ward's issues continue to – you know, unfold. 
Other than that, I think Jason Verrett is a smart signing. He, if he has something, he's one of the most talented corners I think the league has seen. Just can't keep it all together. And the one year he kept it together with the 49ers, he was electric. So, you know, hope for the best. Hopefully he can get out there and give you something. Worst case, I think the locker room loves him, especially mm-hmm. all the guys that have been around him before. So you lose absolutely nothing by getting him in the building. And I think, you know, sounds like they escaped for the most part, which is a big deal. Hopefully, you know, we'll talk about this with the preview too, but with Arizona, it's a, there's actually a little bit of, um, we have to win this game. But yep. do we really push our guys all the way? You know, maybe we get a chance to um, rest someone. I think the 49ers will have some actual decisions to make with Hargrave and Ward in particular. Yeah, especially with the with with uh, Baltimore coming to to town for Monday night, the week after that. So you get a little bit of an, an extended week leading into that game. So maybe something to watch out for, for sure. Um, cool. All right, so let's actually talk a little bit about this game specifically. That was a lot of stuff <laughs> to get us into, but man, there's just so many nice things to say about this team, and it's exciting to be like watching maybe one of the better offenses in the history of the league like unfurl itself. And that's with, I say that, and again, this is another caveat. I say that with the fact that they had three like pretty big stinkers in the middle of the season. So it kind of led you to believe like if they're, if they're in that conversation for like one of the better offensive seasons in NFL history, and they had a couple of clunkers in the middle. I mean, you can only imagine if they had not had those clunkers, what they could have done. But um, actually I'll, I'll let you comment on that and then I'll let you go into your thing that you like for the game. This is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall. He knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, I think the NFL and the 49ers know this better than almost anyone. It's a question of availability and ability, right? They're both, they go hand in hand. The 49ers have not been available in the playoffs and for most many years. And that's kind of been the reason among many why they haven't gotten over that hump. And this year, right, Trent Williams going out was absolutely huge. I think that completely derailed this offense. I think losing Debo, big big deal but Williams was like the guy without him they're just they were getting nothing going anywhere so him being back is huge I think it just speaks to how like crazy good this team is when um when it's all healthy that they're able to like be in those conversations despite putting up some of the ugliest football like we've seen this season in that three game losing stretch but for things I liked, I there's a trillion things to like from this game. <laughs> but one guy who I genuinely, truly believe, when the 49ers are scuffling offensively, there's one player who gets them right. And I think that's Brandon Ayuk. It happened, you know, they get that quick touchdown to start the game, and then the offense does nothing for a couple drives. And then, you know, the game's kind of teetering. You don't really know what's going to happen. Boom, get the ball to Ayuk. One, one route, one route. You know, a couple catches. Now you're at midfield. You try to go to him another time. He doesn't catch it. But, you know, he's the guy. He's always open. Like, we talked about this in the beginning of the year when we were like, wow, this is really cool and so unique. How is he so open? But now it's just expected. Like, 
he is literally open all the time. He's so talented. Six receptions, 126 yards, no touchdown. Had that kind of that semi-drop. Purdy didn't really throw a great pass, but, you know, I think Ayuk and Shanahan want Ayuk to come down with it. That got intercepted by Love. And then Love, Julian Love, tomahawked Ayuk from behind after Ayuk caught a killer pass from Purdy. Super tight window. Ayuk holds on, gets smacked, sandwiched by like three Seahawks and keeps on running. So not his best game, which is crazy to say when a receiver goes over 100 and has six receptions. But I think he's like in an offense that has a ton of guys, right? Like anyone can be the focal point. He's the player. I think they need a reception. They need something. They're hunting, you know, there's eight in the box. You don't know what's going on. You can't get any push on the offensive line. You get the ball to Brandon Ayuk. And I thought he played phenomenally outside those two miscues. I think he's played phenomenally. And I really do think, you know, if the 49ers threw the ball more, he would be easily in discussion as best receiver in the NFL because he does almost everything perfectly. Yeah. Um, I, th- I thought the interesting thing about that, that uh, the fumble is that Julian Love never actually made contact with the football. <laughs> um, he swiped it as at the upper part of his arm and then the lower part of his arm. And then the ball kind of just started, I guess, his, you know, he just kind of lost control of the, of the ball and it bounced around. But uh, it was an, it, I mean, it was a good play by him, especially given the fact that he had just gotten cooked um, by uh, George Kittle on the on his previous um interaction with on the field so that was that was really good but yeah I, I mean i'm right there with you he's obviously a major part of this team we've talked about him all season long uh we talked about you know his back-to-back thousand yard seasons hopefully it'll be a lot more uh in the, the red and gold for the 49ers so that that would be a uh, good to to see um i uh obviously a couple of, of things to point out uh diva samuel another massive game against the seahawks uh <laughs> Yeah, you know, it just seems like he sees that team out there and he's like, you know what? I'm going to be punching some people in the mouth today. And that's just how this is going to be. Uh, finishes nine or excuse me, seven catches on nine targets, 149 yards and a touchdown, including that 54 yard bomb from the quarterback that can't throw the ball deep. Um, and then my all time favorite rushing uh, line, one carry for one yard for a touchdown. Um, that's what you want to see that one, 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 one. Uh, right across the board. Uh, that number, interestingly enough, when we mentioned this last time, uh, set the record for rushing touchdown by touchdowns by wide receiver. Uh, he's at 20 for his career. He actually has more rushing touchdowns than he does receiving touchdowns. Part of that obviously inflated by the the season where he spent the second half of the year at running back, basically. Um, but really fantastic uh, output there from Debo, and it was good to see that. Um, and then a couple of defenders that I wanted to point out um, in terms of just ec- excellent play, I thought. Uh, the first is Diamador Lenore, who had to step up as basically the team's number one corner um, once Traverius Ward went down. Um, had two pass, two pass defends, uh, two pass breakups, uh, three tackles um, on the game. But that doesn't really kind of tell you <laughs> the whole story. He just really kind of put... Uh, pretty much anybody in his in his in his field uh on on lockdown i think he had a really good game probably should have had like three interceptions the one obviously he missed two one went right through his hands and he and he just dropped it um another one was thrown pretty close to him that he missed and then one that he did catch got called back on a post offside um which wasn't great but um yeah i mean dk metcalf got off to a, a a raging start to the to the game but after that you know he pretty much fell off the face of the planet and uh, the, the, the end of the game, notwithstanding and what and how Lenore ended the game, which was being uh, ejected for reasons. I'm still not quite sure exactly what he did specifically. Um, obviously he was getting into the scuffle, but uh, I don't know. It just felt like a little superfluous and that they just kind of, they were like, Oh, we need to, th- we need to eject one, a player from both teams. So they kind of picked somebody at random. I don't know. Anyway, good good game from from Demo, and then and then the other one um, is a name that we haven't really talked about this year because of additions uh, like Randy Gregory and Chase Young and that sort of thing. And but that's Cleveland Farrell, who I thought had a, a really good game, uh, finished with a sack, four tackles, uh, two for loss, and an additional quarterback hit. 
but he it just seemed like he didn't get a bunch of snaps um he was not like a consistent um player on the on the defense he ended up with let's see um he played uh 25 snaps which was 42 percent of the defensive snaps but when he was out there and this is part of the reason that they brought him in they continue to bring guys in like him is that he's able to get out there and be productive when the when he's called upon um and i thought that was really really important uh for him um they actually had a pretty good defensive end rotation uh, on on Sunday, Bosa played 85% of the snaps, but Young was only out there for 49%. Uh, Cleveland Farrell 42, Randy Gregory 41. Um, so that was that was good to see. But I thought Farrell played really well when called upon. Yeah, I mean, what was it we uh, we talked we joked about in the off season? If the 49ers ended up with just playing Farrell, it would be an absolute like travesty. And that's what happened, but then they added some other guys. But I think Farrell's played phenomenally. He's done exactly what they kind of wanted him to do in that you get a highly touted prospect. Things didn't really go well for him when he was out there with, um, with the Raiders. He's probably overdrafted a little bit. Scheme never fit. Get him into the lab with Korosek. And, I mean, he's been huge. He allows – it's players like him essentially that allowed this 49ers operation to work because you get like high level, almost like almost starter, I think starter level play from a backup, but that just lets your starters play at their best because they're not playing a ton of snaps. Bosa notwithstanding, which I think is just, you know, you kind of got to lean on your horse a little bit, but yeah, like he's, especially with Armstead out, you know, I just think it's one of those times where you do a lot of the you know NASCAR packages, a lot more put Gregory Bosa and Young all out together. So not a lot of chance to rest him, but he's played super well. And Debo, you know, when he scored that touchdown, that rushing touchdown, the first thing I thought of was like, oh, he broke the record. <laughs> you got that. You got that in my mind, Robert. So that was the only thing I was thinking about. But um. He's he's a gamer, man. He like it's it's interesting. I just said that I think Ayuk is the guy that gets this team like going when they need someone to, but I think Debo is like the heartbeat of this team, right? Like I think when the 49ers are at their best, Debo Samuel is at his best, and you can tell like just how like physical he is, how aggressive he is, and he perfectly identifies what this football team wants to be at its best. And it also identifies like some of the ways it isn't always at its best, right? You know, he didn't have a great year last year. He came into camp vowing to be in better shape, got hurt, managed to come back. And he's, he's really like shown himself to be one of those top level players. And that's exactly what the 49ers expect of him. But now you compare that with a Brandon Ayuk, who's already ascending and Christian McCaffrey. And that's how, that's how this offense becomes as good as it is because in 2020, 2020, 2021, 2022, you know, it wasn't just, it was just Debo. Like that was the only way anything happened. Nothing else mattered. You know, no one else was really doing anything. Now you're basically getting like that type of Debo play, if not better this year. I think Shanahan has said this is the best version of Debo he's ever seen. But you pair that with an offense that's clicking on all cylinders. and The end result is an offense that is fighting for one of the best in the NFL. Not in one of all time. Sorry, not just in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really safe to say because if you think about the the drive that, that really kind of kick-started everything, it was that touchdown that he had that that Devo had on the on the on the long pass um which was basically uh it was an Ayuk pass a, a long run by McCaffrey and then a sack and it was two, second and 18 and Debo <laughs> Debo gets the next two balls one for seven one for 54 and it's a touchdown and and we're we're rolling kind of thing so I think you're right I think it's interesting how each of these players each of these like key players on this team like serves a different role not only in terms of what they provide on the field but also just like Brandon Ayuk is the is the technician right and 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 Debo is the 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 heartbeat as you say and and you know George Kittle is is (laughs) 
is George Kittle. Um, he's the, the the sort of like look at me, but also he he's just having more fun than anybody on the planet. Um, and you know everybody is a a key thing and a a key cog in the in the in the machine. And I think that's really important. Um, and you know a player like Christian McCaffrey is just like the one to be feared and and those sorts of things. So I think it's really cool uh, to be able to to see that play out. So all right. But obviously, um, it wasn't like a great game in all accounts. Um, so what what didn't we like here? I think 49ers worst games of the year. I would I would go so far as to say I think the 49ers probably played the worst they did in a game they won this year in this game. The defense allowed 269 yards to Drew Locke. Through two interceptions, but you know that kind of happened near the end. Rushing wise, they did pretty well, but you know Charbonneau and Kenneth Walker were able to cut a couple of loose. Tackling wasn't great. Metcalf, you know, had a great opening drive, but then kind of got cooled off. Lockett was really productive around. Um, two turnovers by the offense. If it wasn't for the big plays, they weren't really getting anything consistent on the ground. McCaffrey had a fantastic rushing game, but you know, and 15 for 70 isn't bad at all, which is what it roughly is if you take away a 72-yard scamper. But that's a lot more, like, 12-yard gashes followed up by, like, two mm-hmm. runs. There he gets nothing. Ayuk, obviously, with the fumble. I mean, the defense, again, missed a lot of tackles. The pressure was kind of, like, I know the pressure statistics will probably say they had a good day, but... From what I saw, anyway, it didn't really feel like Locke was very pressured until the end. Near the end, yeah, like the 49ers kind of locked in for the final huh. final two drives. But up until then, I thought Locke had all time to throw. You know, this was a game we talked about, like, could it be a trap game? How much will this team, like, actually, like, struggle to get up against a divisional rival, but I do think the 49ers played really, really poorly in many, many aspects. I think the defense did not play well at all. And I think they kind of got lucky that Seattle just has a San Francisco problem right now. Like, I don't know what it is. And I love it obviously because, (laughs) you know, now, if Seattle also has an SF problem, and you know the Rams and their issues with San Francisco, that that's great. That's exactly that's what's called that's what dominance is called. But um, I think like this was a game Seattle could have won. I think if they like tightened up just a little bit, like a couple plays. The difference in this game is a couple plays, and it looks really dominant. But I think that's like to be expected because the 49ers are so good right? They can make those two plays, two, three plays, and just, like, win a game outright. And it's very hard to stop them, but, you know, Pete Carroll was adamant in his post-game presser. He was like, they didn't do anything new. Everything they did was stuff we practiced against. We just didn't execute. And I do think the 49ers were probably, like, 1% better execution-wise than the Seahawks. And the rest was just like, they're just so much more talented than most teams that if they execute, if they're just a little sharper, then um, then they'll get it done. Also, one thing I didn't like, paired with one thing I liked, we have to mention this. I was, I'm so worried we're going to not talk about this. <laughs> Mitch Wyshnowski getting the 30-yard run, one thing I liked, absolute gamer. One thing I didn't like, Ronnie Bell, like, falling down into someone and it being called a blindside or cut block. First of all, don't know how you call that. Definitely didn't look like he was trying to block him, but whatever. But then also for Bell, so unnecessary, just like so dumb, but definitely highlight. I mean, I was like, I can't believe <laughs> Shanahan called a fake punt. And he turned did. out he didn't. He did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I was, so I was, I was close enough to be able to like, see the, see some of the, like, see the players like sit down and like have theirs like conversations. So I was looking at the offensive line and they just given up a sack. They had a bad block or something. Chris Forrester, like Feliciano super mad. 
And Forrester's like chatting them up. He's like, all right, guys, this is what we got to do. And then I just see, and I'm paying attention to this. And all of a sudden, I see in the corner of my eye, Wisniewski running. I'm like, what? And I see, <laughs> as I see him running, I see the players look up and be like, oh, my God, what just happened? So, <laughs> no. That's great. <laughs> the sideline was so confused. Was like, glorious. what? Like, even though it didn't count, what a what a gutsy thing to be like. Because his explanation was like, well, they just left the whole right side of the fields open. So I was just like, eh, what the heck? Like, could you imagine if he had lost you, lost yardage there? Oh, yeah. He'd, um, that would have been the end. Contract, contract yeah. be damned. He'd be, he'd be on the <laughs> Back to Australia <laughs> with you. Get out. Yeah, that would have been the last thing he did. Um, so glad it worked out and then but didn't, you know what I mean? But yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I, yeah. And I, I agree with pretty much most of everything that you said. I don't, I think this is certainly their most like inconsistent game. And it's just kind of weird to look at, like we talked about how this is their best output from an offensive yardage point of view, but not their best. This is the what second lowest point total that they had in a victory this season outside of the, uh, the Tampa Bay game a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd like to see, and I think your point is, is, is true. Like a better team probably takes advantage of this. Um, whether or not that's sort of like, is it just like, this is what happens when you play, uh, division rivals, like every once in a while they're, they're able to maybe, even though they're not as good, they're, they're able to keep the game closer than they probably, than you probably think that they should have. Um, which is not terribly dissimilar to what happened in the last game against Seattle, where the game was probably closer than it had any business being for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden it looks like a, you know, it, it, this, that obviously that game is a lot more successful in terms of just being a bigger margin of victory. And just, it looked more dominating than this game was, but um, the, the, the alternative being of course, that they could add like a major letdown coming off that Philadelphia win and lose this game altogether. And then that's, that's not what you want. So, I, th- I think to a certain extent, while it's not, uh, I think you're right in saying, yeah, they didn't play their best game of the season. Yeah, the defense was uh, was struggling. There was, and, and it was more of an opportunistic, op- you know, taking advantage of of some 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 bad throws when Drew Locke made them. But you know, also, I guess the other side of it is they didn't really know that they were playing Drew Locke until like because Gino didn't even hurt himself till like what Thursday or something like that of the, the, you know, leading into the game. So some of that probably comes into play. I think that excuses some of the early stuff, but maybe not him continuing to have success, but you'd like to see him, you know, tighten up. And this is, and I I think it's going to be very similar. And we'll talk about this in the lead up to the, to the, the Cardinals game. They have to watch out for a very similar kind of situation where by all accounts, they're way more talented than that Cardinals team. But if they don't, if they don't like bring, is as high a quality a game as they can to that, then it then it could, you know, come back and bite them, and that's not what you want for sure. I mean, the reality is right. There there is a way in which these games were ultimately meaningless for the 49ers, right? And you know, you could excuse kind of the inevitable letdown as they gear up for the playoffs. But these games matter, and they matter a lot, right? The Eagles. Basically, the Eagles are better than every team they're going to play the rest of the season. And they like, and unless their issues run way deeper than Seattle's, Seattle comes away with a victory. I don't think there's a world where they lose another game. And that means the 49ers can't lose another game. And, you know, against the Ravens, that's going to be a huge test. And despite the 49ers comfortably being like one of the best teams in the NFL. I don't know, like you get like barely any time to prepare for Lamar Jackson. That's a that's a tough matchup. So the point is you can't drop any of the rest of these if you can help it. And I want to believe that this team like is aware of that. But you know, 2019, they dropped that really um that game against the Falcons, mm-hmm. which is classic trap game. And because of it, they have to play for the division in Seattle week 17. Like this, there's like a world where they drop some of these games and, you know, they're just not ready. And I think they can out talent almost every team in the NFL. 
So I'm not really worried about them. And I'm not worried about them executing once we get to the playoffs because when they, when the games matter, this team shows up. I think that much we know, we've seen time and time again. Like, they are, they're ready to play when the game is, like, big. It's just about, like, the regular season for the 49ers is being as prepared as possible for the playoffs. And that includes having the one seed. So they have to find – they have to yep. – look. I don't know what it is they have to do. I don't know how they motivate themselves to get it done, but they got to find something to um, get that, to make these games matter more, to like be able to get up for this, you know, game in Arizona. Yeah. I mean, and that's what you've been saying all, all season long, right? Like the, the regular season for a team like this, that is this high, that is this good, this talented, this capable of, of winning the whole thing it's about setting yourself up for the playoffs. Like that's what you've been saying for, from, from day one, I, I feel like. Um, and right now that means, and, and so far they've, you know, minus a, a little three game skid there, they've taken care of, of that business. Um, and that means, and again, we'll get into this more and when we get into the preview, that will mean making sure that you, they, the like minimizing the opportunities like you you did the work okay you're in the playoffs like you know that you're going to be somewhere between a one and a seven seed right now right um but you want to but if you win on sunday you minimize that even more because now the lowest you can be is a three seed like that's the worst that can happen to you and then you keep moving in that direction and then you keep winning games and maybe hope that the eagles are maybe a little bit less um good than we thought they were and maybe they'll lose to seattle and or something weird will happen. But um, anyway, <laughs> all that to say, um, I think it's going to be an exciting last month of the season, and I'm, I'm I'm pumped. But that was not, again, not not a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a, it's another W, and at this point, you, you take them all, regardless of whether or not they're ugly or, or blowouts or whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, the 49ers, like, F game, essentially, or, like, B game, C game, I think – it was Dieter Kurtenbach who said this. I want to credit him because I thought it was a fantastic line. It's like that's better than most teams' A games at this point. Like they are just like, and it's it's weird to say this because it kind of feels like oh, like a ton of bragging. But I I don't even think that's true. I like I legitimately think they're like better than ninety five percent of the NFL. Like just clearly, like not even like a little better, but like definitively better and all that means is they can get away with having not great games initially and look like they're like dominant but the reality is in the playoffs that like 95 percent goes away and everyone else you're playing those guys are legit so you know there's nothing we've seen that makes us that makes me think that this team doesn't like know how to play against the best teams in the nfl but they kind of like you like you want you would love for the 49ers to like be on point every game. That would just yeah. that would make everything feel so much better. So, <laughs> for sure. I mean, you know. I guess the 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 one thing that we can say about both these last two games, the Philadelphia and, and, and Seattle, is that the one thing that we've been that we were crying out about uh, crying out for was okay they won the first five games like running away like no real issues they were never they're never they were never losing in any of those games like it wasn't no real adversity then they had that real bad stretch of adversity that we don't want to talk about anymore and even as they got back into the winning streak it was still like they're blowing teams out like no real problems but these last two games i think it's safe to say they've run into a little bit like it's they've had to grime through like the Philadelphia game. They had that horrible first quarter and they had to they had to grit and pull themselves out of whatever funk that was. And it if you look at the final score, you're like, oh, they just dominated the whole game. Clearly, they did. They did not. Right. Um, that first quarter was atrocious and it was just horrible. Similar to the Seattle game, it didn't end up quite as much a domination. And it looks on paper a little bit like they were like maybe more successful <laughs> than they probably actually were but they 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 figured out a way to get the the this the points when they needed it and i think that will will be good good come playoff time for for this team i mean yeah right they were the last two games they've trailed heading into the second quarter mm-hmm. which is 
you know, like you look at it and there's you're like, there's no way. But that's that's where they are right now. They've trailed heading into the second quarter, the last two games, and then they've like figured it out. And I absolutely agree. You know, they've professed themselves a need, as you mentioned, for these like grimy, you know, gritty wins that like build your metal. And I think, you know, winning by like 29 or winning by like <laughs> 17 or 12 that doesn't feel like it's gritty but it definitely like they're building that experience right now and it's gonna come in handy because you know barring some like i can't even like i can't off the top of my head tell you a team that's just like just dominated and won a super bowl and at no point were you like okay like there's just this is like they're just so much better. That doesn't happen. Like you're gonna play close games, and you've got to be ready to play them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's that's all, all well said. So um, here's here's to another victory, though. Um, and we're at we're at five in a row again. So let's keep that going that's all i gotta say all right um well thanks uh as always for listening to this episode of the niner noise podcast part of the fan-sided podcast network uh please continue to check out ninernoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis and be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and of course share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends so until next time let's sound the horn 49ers (laughs) 